0: Colin Cruz's exposition on the Book of Romans delves into the intricate historical and societal backdrop of Rome during Emperor Nero's reign. Nero's rule, especially the initial years, marked a relatively stable and prosperous era for the Roman Empire. The population of Rome, a bustling metropolis of approximately 400,000, was a diverse tapestry comprising slaves, freed individuals, and freeborn citizens. Jews constituted about 10% of the population reflecting the city's multicultural milieu. The Jewish community in Rome, however, navigated a complex relationship with the ruling authorities. Emperor Claudius, Nero's predecessor, in 41 AD, paradoxically affirmed Jewish rights throughout the empire while also imposing restrictions, notably the prohibition of communal gatherings. The situation escalated to a point where Claudius expelled the Jews from Rome in 49 AD a decision attributed to disturbances linked to crestus, possibly indicating conflicts surrounding the figure of Christ. This expulsion is documented by both Luke in the Acts and the historian Suetonius, though the interpretation of these events is subject to debate. Some scholars argue that Luke's account might be hyperbolic, pointing to the absence of any significant reference to this presumably traumatic event in later texts and the lack of palpable tension between Jews and Christians in subsequent Roman narratives. Despite the ambiguities surrounding the expulsion, the return of the Jews to Rome after Claudius' death in 54 AD marks a significant phase. By 58 AD, when Paul composed his epistle to the Romans, and more so by his arrival in the city around 60 AD, the Jewish community had re-established itself. The lapse of time since the expulsion could explain the diminishing impact of this event on the collective memory of the Jews in Rome, as depicted in later accounts. Cruz emphasises the importance of these historical nuances, suggesting that despite the complexities and potential exaggerations in the records, the core narratives provided by Luke and Suetonius offer valuable insights into the socio-religious landscape of early Christian Rome. Also, Cruz's analysis of the Christian community in Rome accentuates its dynamic and multi-ethnic nature, shaped significantly by historical events and social structures. Initially, the community was predominantly Jewish, likely established by Jewish believers who were present at Pentecost in Jerusalem. These individuals, who could have been travellers, immigrants or merchants, laid the foundation of Christianity in the heart of the Roman Empire. The character of the Christian community underwent a significant transformation following Emperor Claudius' edict in AD 49, which expelled Jews from Rome. This led to a predominantly Gentile composition of the community, until the edict lapsed with Claudius' death in AD 54 allowing Jews to return and reintegrate into the Christian community. Cruz addresses the debate regarding the intended audience of Paul's epistle to the Romans, contending that despite some views that it was solely addressed to Gentiles, evidence suggests a mixed audience. Notably, the mention of Jewish names in Romans 16 indicates that Jewish believers were also considered part of the audience, suggesting a community composed of both Jewish and Gentile believers. Moreover. Cruz elaborates on the geographical spread and social makeup of the Roman Christian community. Beyond Rome, Christians were present in places like Puteoli, affirming the broader reach of early Christianity. Within Rome, most Christians lived in poverty stricken areas, residing in insuli, which were overcrowded and prone to fires. The community had a significant number of slaves and freed individuals, distinguishing it from other Pauline communities like Corinth which represented a broader cross-section of society. This socio-economic backdrop, coupled with hints of persecution referenced in Paul's epistles, paints a picture of a community that was not only diverse in its ethnic and religious origins, but also in its social standing and the challenges it faced in the capital of the Roman Empire. Furthermore, Cruz, in his exposition on Paul's situation in the Book of Romans, elucidates the profound transformation and mission of Paul following his encounter with the risen Christ. This pivotal event on the Damascus Road marked not a rejection of Judaism but a fervent embrace of a life in Christ. Central to Paul's existence was an unwavering commitment to pleasing God, a motif recurrent in his letters, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, 1 Thessalonians 2, 4. This commitment manifested in a relentless drive to disseminate the Gospel, particularly among Gentiles, a mission he pursued with a sense of divine obligation, Romans 1, 14, 1 Corinthians nine sixteen. And financial disinterest, ensuring that the gospel's purity was not marred by monetary motives. 1 Corinthians 9:18, 2 Corinthians 11:7. Cruz asserts Paul's pastoral heart, highlighting his dedication not just to evangelism, but also to the spiritual maturation of believers. Paul's ministry was characterized by a vigilant guardianship over the faith of new converts, protecting them from deceptive teachings that threatened their devotion to Christ. 2 Corinthians 11. 2. 3. This protective instinct was particularly pronounced towards Gentile converts, whether they were direct results of his apostolic labour or not. In addition, the narrative dives into the complexities and constraints of Paul's ministry. His aspirations to preach in uncharted territories were often hindered by pressing needs within established Christian communities. His letter to the Corinthians, for instance, reveals his strategic and patient approach to ministry expansion conditioned by the maturity and stability of the believers. Further, Cruz's analysis offers insights into the context of Paul's letter to the Romans. He portrays Paul as a man under a sense of obligation to the Roman believers, his plans to minister to them consistently deferred by his duties in the eastern Mediterranean. Even his long-awaited journey to Rome is depicted not as a triumphant missionary venture, but as a constrained arrival in chains, his movements restricted, yet his mission unwavering. This portrayal deepens the understanding of Paul's epistle, framing it as a product of a life fiercely devoted to the Gospel, yet entangled in the complexities of apostolic ministry and human circumstances. Besides, Paul's letter to the Romans is a profound exposition of the Gospel, indicating its power to reveal God's righteousness and offer salvation to all humanity, transcending divisions between Jews and Gentiles. Paul introduces himself as an apostle tasked with spreading this Gospel expressing a deep desire to visit and impart spiritual gifts to the Roman believers, whose faith is renowned worldwide. Central to the letter is the theme of God's righteousness. Paul debates that human sinfulness has incurred divine wrath, rendering all, regardless of moral standing or possession of the law, culpable before God. In response, God presents a radical solution, justification through faith in Jesus Christ, independent of the law. This divine initiative reconciles humanity to God, nullifying any grounds for boasting and aligning with Abraham's example of faith. Paul anticipates objections to the doctrine of grace, countering that salvation through faith upholds moral order. Believers, unified with Christ in his death and resurrection, are called to a life of holiness, empowered by the Spirit. Despite present sufferings, they are assured of future glory and the inseparability of God's love, affirmed in the Spirit's intercession and God's providential care. Addressing the contentious issue of Israel's rejection of the Gospel, Paul navigates between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. He maintains God's faithfulness to his promises, envisaging a future redemption for Israel. The letter concludes with practical instructions on Christian living, maintaining love, humility and harmonious relations within the church and society. Paul shares his apostolic mission and travel intentions, seeking the believers' support and prayers. Final greetings, a caution against divisive influences, and a doxology celebrating God's wisdom and glory, bring the epistle to a close, leaving a lasting impact on Christian thought and theology. Additionally, Cruz digs into the complexity of understanding the letter's purpose. Initially, it seems Paul writes to lay the groundwork for his upcoming visit to Rome and a planned mission to Spain, seeking prayer support for a pending trip to Jerusalem. However, this intention alone doesn't fully capture the extensive theological and ethical discourse presented in the bulk of the letter. Cruz points out that a comprehensive understanding of Paul's theological argument, which centres on the revelation of God's righteousness to both Jews and Gentiles through faith in the Gospel, is crucial. This argument forms the foundation of the letter, with subsequent sections defending this thesis against potential criticisms and detailing its ethical implications for the believers' lives. The interpretations of Romans' purpose are diverse, but Cruz categorises them broadly into three groups. Those related to the circumstances within the Roman Church, those linked to a specific phase in Paul's apostolic journey, and those that intertwine both aspects. These perspectives range from addressing organisational and doctrinal conflicts within the Roman Church, to encapsulating Paul's Gospel in the wake of his apostolic experiences, and preparing the Roman community for his impending visit and broader mission objectives. Cruz proposes that the letter's primary aim is to minister to the Roman believers under Paul's apostolic care, ensuring a robust understanding of the Gospel. This understanding is pivotal for their sanctification by the Holy Spirit, making them an acceptable offering to God. This aim encapsulates addressing internal church conflicts, countering objections to Paul's Gospel, and fostering a unified community. Such comprehensive doctrinal exposition and defence align with Paul's broader logistical and missionary goals, including laying the groundwork for his visit, his missionary work in Spain, and garnering prayer support for his Jerusalem journey. Also, Cruz's interpretation of Paul's letter to the Romans presents it as a multifaceted and intricate text, challenging to categorise within traditional literary genres. The epistle commences and concludes with segments typical of personal correspondence, encompassing greetings, a snapshot of Paul's current circumstances, future intentions, a plea for support, and a doxology. However, the core of the letter is distinctively different, unfolding as an elaborate theological discourse that meticulously explicates and vindicates the Gospel. This central treatise is succeeded by a significant ethical section, delineating the practical ramifications of the Gospel for moral conduct. Cruz disputes that Romans resists simplistic classification. It transcends the boundaries of a mere theological treatise or letter essay due to its personal introductory and concluding remarks. It cannot be wholly identified as epideictic or celebratory of shared values, despite containing elements of this style, because it also incorporates substantial, exhortatory content, urging readers towards specific behaviours. The perspective that views it as an ambassadorial letter lobbying support for a mission in Spain is seen as inadequate, as this does not fully account for the extensive theological discussions in the main body. Moreover, Cruz reiterates the rhetorical richness of Romans. Paul masterfully employs a variety of rhetorical techniques, such as diatribe, internal dialogue, and speech in character, to engage and persuade his audience. The letter is interspersed with creedal affirmations, hymns, scriptural references and diverse forms of argumentation, including syllogistic and midrashic reasoning. Furthermore, it is stylistically sophisticated, utilising rhetorical devices like parallelism, anaphora, homo and chiasm to enhance its literary and persuasive impact. In sum, Cruz suggests that Romans is best perceived as a complex hybrid letter that skillfully integrates multiple forms and styles to convey its profound theological and ethical messages. Furthermore, Cruz presents a compelling argument for the Pauline authorship of the epistle to the Romans, situating its composition during Paul's stay in Corinth. The letter itself contains intrinsic evidence supporting this assertion. Notably, Romans 16.23 references individuals such as Gaius, a figure known for extending hospitality to Paul and the Corinthian church, and Erastus, identified as the city's director of public works. Gaius's mention aligns with the individual Paul baptised in Corinth, as recorded in 1 Corinthians 1.14, while Erastus potentially corresponds to a historical figure noted in a Corinthian inscription discovered in 1929, thereby reinforcing the Corinthian context of the letter's origin. In addition, the commendation of Phoebe, a servant of the church in Cenchreae, Corinth's port, at the outset of a series of greetings, suggests her role as the letter's courier. This, coupled with the account of Paul's three-month sojourn in Greece, primarily in Corinth, as documented in Acts 20, further substantiates Corinth as the letter's place of writing. The dating of Romans is further refined in its 15th chapter, where Paul mentions the completion of his mission in the eastern Mediterranean, the successful collection of funds from the churches of Macedonia and Achaia for the Jerusalem believers, and his imminent travel to Jerusalem to deliver these contributions. These events position the writing of Romans after the composition of 2 Corinthians 8-9, and just before Paul's departure for Jerusalem, suggesting a time frame between AD 54 and 59. While the exact date remains debated among scholars, the contextual and textual evidence robustly supports the Corinthian origin and the mid-first century composition of the epistle to the Romans. Besides, Cruz in his commentary addresses the debate surrounding the integrity of the Book of Romans Focusing specifically on chapter 16, the discussion centres around the textual variations, particularly the placement of the doxology, traditionally located at Romans 16:25-27. The textual tradition presents six distinct arrangements for the doxology's placement, which has led scholars to various interpretations regarding the structure and composition of Romans. Despite these variations, the consensus among scholars leans towards accepting the authenticity of Romans 16. 123. Cruz contributes to this consensus by offering compelling arguments for considering chapter 16 as an integral part of the epistle. He repeats that the ending phrase in 1533, The God of Peace be with all of you, is not typical of Paul's concluding remarks in his letters. Instead, such a phrase usually precedes a section of personal greetings, akin to those found in chapter 16, suggesting a continuation rather than a conclusion. Additionally, Cruz underlines the absence of any manuscript evidence indicating that Romans concluded at chapter 15. The manuscripts consistently either include or omit chapters 15 and 16 together, implying their interconnectedness. The unique nature of chapter 16, abundant with personal greetings, also supports its authenticity. It reflects Paul's situation accurately, writing to a church he did not establish or visit, yet from whom he seeks support for his mission a context well established in the preceding chapters. Moreover, Cruz aligns the content of chapter 16 with the historical and geographical details presented in chapters 115. The narrative of Romans 15 19 29 suggests that Paul penned the letter from Greece at the end of his third missionary journey. This setting corresponds with the details in chapter 16, where Paul, situated in Greece, entrusts the letter to Phoebe from cenchreae and includes greetings from his companions such as Timothy, Sosipater and Gaius, who are likely to have been with him during this period. In essence, Cruz advocates for treating chapter 16 as an integral part of Romans, providing a well-reasoned argument based on textual analysis, manuscript evidence and contextual alignment with the rest of the epistle. Furthermore, Cruz's examination in Romans 9, the influence of the new perspective, centres on the transformative shift in Pauline studies initiated by E.P. Sanders' seminal work, Paul and Palestinian Judaism. This shift, often termed the new perspective, championed by James Dunn, revolutionised the interpretation of Paul's letters, prompting a re-evaluation of first-century Judaism's portrayal. At the heart of Sanders' thesis is covenantal gnomism, a term he coined to describe the essence of Palestinian Judaism. This concept, derived from Sanders's meticulous analysis of Jewish texts spanning from 200 BC to AD 200, presents a relational framework between God and Israel. It's characterised by divine selection, the giving of the law, and a covenant sustained through obedience, divine mercy and atonement. This paradigm challenged the prevailing perception of Judaism as merely a legalistic pursuit of righteousness, spotlighting the dynamic interplay between divine grace and human obligation. Despite its groundbreaking nature, Sander's approach attracted critical scrutiny. Jacob Neusner disputed the natural emergence of Sander's categories, getting in and staying in, from the Jewish texts, suggesting instead that they were artefacts of Pauline scholarship. Scholars like Westerholm and Schreiner, while appreciating Sander's dismissal of the caricature of Judaism as graceless, contend that Jewish soteriology did incorporate a form of legalism hinged on a synergistic view of salvation a cooperative effort between divine grace and human deeds. In a comprehensive critique, Carson, O'Brien and Seyfried debate that while covenantal gnomism captures certain facets of Second Temple Judaism, it oversimplifies and fails to represent the full spectrum of Jewish theological thought. They dispute that this singular perspective should not dominate New Testament interpretation, especially of Paul's writings, due to its reductionist and sometimes misleading nature. Cruz's discourse thus sheds light on the profound implications of the new perspective, acknowledging its substantial contributions to understanding early Judaism and Pauline Christianity, while also recognising its limitations and the need for a more nuanced, multifaceted approach. In addition, Cruz's exploration into Pauline Christianity, through the lens of E.P. Sanders' research, unveils a critical distinction between traditional Palestinian Judaism and the teachings of Paul. Sanders, after thoroughly examining the seven letters universally accepted as Paul's authentic writings, Romans 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians, 1 Thessalonians and Philemon, identifies the core of Paul's religion as participationist eschatology. This term encapsulates the idea that the essence of salvation and transformation in Pauline thought is achieved through a mystical union with Christ's death and resurrection. This union with Christ is not only initiatory but requires continual allegiance, unless deliberately breached by the believer. A pivotal divergence Sanders underscores between Jewish and Pauline understandings relates to the concept of righteousness. In Jewish tradition, righteousness hinges on adherence to the Torah and repentance, serving to maintain one's elected status within the covenant community. Conversely, Pauline Christianity conceptualises righteousness as being inherently linked with salvation through Christ. According to Paul, righteousness, or being justified, signifies an entrance into salvation, significantly shifting the focus from maintaining one's place within the elect to the initial act of becoming part of the saved. This reorientation of righteousness from a status to be maintained by law adherence to an initiating act of grace through faith in Christ strongly critiques traditional understandings within Judaism. However, Sanders stresses that Paul's critique is not based on a perceived legalism within Judaism, but rather on its absence of Christian enlightenment. The repercussions of Sanders' work challenge long-standing interpretations within Protestant theology, particularly the Reformation's strong emphasis on justification by faith. By reframing first-century Judaism and Paul's letters away from a strict dichotomy of law versus grace, Sanders invites a broader re-evaluation of Pauline theology. He posits that the essence of Paul's disagreement with Judaism is not its legal structure or pursuit of righteousness through works, but simply that it does not encompass the transformative vision of Christianity. Consequently, Sander's analysis provides critical insights that potentially recalibrate theological understanding and biblical exegesis, pushing scholars to reconsider traditional narratives about the relationship between law, grace and righteousness in Pauline thought. Further, James Dunn builds upon the work of E.P. Sanders to challenge long-standing misconceptions about first-century Judaism's relationship with the law. While appreciating Sanders' contributions, Dunn argues that Sanders missed a pivotal opportunity to examine the nuances of how Apostle Paul's theology intersects with Judaism's concept of covenantal gnomism. According to Dunn, when Paul criticises works of the law, he specifically targets key Jewish identity markers, circumcision, dietary laws, and Sabbath observance. These practices, Dunn contends, were not merely religious rites, but were central to Jewish self-identity and their understanding of covenantal relationship with God. He posits that Paul's denial of justification through these works directly challenges the foundational Jewish belief that adherence to these specific laws was intertwined with, or even essential for, maintaining their covenant status with God. However, Dunn's interpretation faced significant scrutiny. Critics accentuated that viewing works of the law solely as these identity markers fails to capture the broader scope of the term as understood in Jewish tradition. For them, it encompassed a commitment to all the commands of the Mosaic law, a comprehensive obedience stemming from the covenant made with Moses. Furthermore, they debate that Paul's denouncement of seeking justification through works of the law in Romans 3.20 springs from a recognition of a more generalised failure to adhere to the law's moral demands among Jews, rather than a specific criticism of circumcision, dietary laws, or Sabbath observance. In response to criticism, Dunn later refined his stance, admitting that works of the law indeed refer more broadly to the entire Mosaic law, while still affirming that certain practices demarcate Jewish distinctiveness. He posits that understanding the social function of these laws how they define and preserve Jewish identity, helps reconcile the apparent contradictions in Paul's assessment of the law. Dunn disputes that recognising the law's dual role, critiqued for its potential to segregate while also being affirmed for guiding moral conduct, especially the love towards one's neighbour, offers a resolution to the complex dynamics in Paul's discussion of the law. This balance, according to Dunn, is vital for understanding the nuanced perspective Paul holds towards the law acknowledging its importance in guiding ethical behaviour while critiquing its capacity to alienate. Besides, Dunn suggests exploration of this topic in his additional note The Works of the Law, aiming to deepen the understanding of the complex relationship between Paul's teachings and Jewish law observance. Additionally, Cruz's examination of Paul's critique of Judaism, as presented in his letter to the Romans, navigates through a critical reassessment of traditional interpretations significantly influenced by the scholarly contributions of E.P. Sanders and James D.G. Dunn. Sanders' pioneering work challenged prevailing views by suggesting that first-century Judaism was not characterised by legalism, the idea that Jewish people pursued righteousness through works as a way of earning divine favour. Despite this, Sanders is critiqued by Dunn for overlooking how works of the law functioned beyond mere acts of legalistic righteousness serving instead as pivotal identity markers that signified membership within the covenant community. James D.G. Dunn furthered the conversation by arguing that Paul's criticism was aimed not at the perceived legalism of Judaism, but at its exclusivity. This exclusivity determined who belonged to the people of God, based on compliance with Torah observance, including circumcision. Dunn identifies this stance as a form of ethnocentrism against which Paul's letters, specifically segments from Romans 2, hundred twenty nine and 3.27.30, vehemently contend. Cruz expands on this analysis by positioning Paul's critique within his broader theological argument in Romans. Paul himself, having once sought righteousness through the law, as detailed in Philippians 3, 2.9, recognised the futility of such endeavours post-conversion. He debated that righteousness and justification come through faith, not by law observance. Adherence to the law, while commendable, was misconstrued when seen as the path to divine justification. This perspective, Paul disputed, effectively sidelined God's intended means of salvation, overshadowing the righteousness that comes from God by faith. Thus, Cruz encapsulates Paul's nuanced critique of his native Judaism within Romans, a dialogue not just about the practice of the law but more deeply about the understanding of righteousness, faith, and the inclusivity of God's covenant with humanity. It's a dialogue that critiques not the moral or ethical observance of the law per se, but the misunderstanding of its role in relationship to the righteousness, made available through faith in Christ, a pivotal shift from exclusivity to inclusivity in the understanding of who constitutes the people of God. Also, The debate over the doctrine of justification as delineated by Paul in his epistle to the Romans has intensified with the emergence of what is known as the new perspective on Paul. This perspective argues that justification should be viewed primarily through the lens of Paul's mission to the Gentiles, positing that Jews and Gentiles alike are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Crucially, from this viewpoint, justification is not depicted as the mechanism by which individuals are saved and inducted into God's people but rather as an indicator that one is already part of God's forgiven community. This reframing shifts justification from a soteriological, concerned with salvation, emphasis to an ecclesiological, concerned with the church, one. According to N.T. Wright, a prominent voice in the new perspective, justification is about identifying who belongs to God's covenant family, especially in the current era before the final eschatological judgment. However, this interpretation has not been without its critics. Scholars such as O'Brien and Westerholm challenge the de-emphasis on justification as an integral part of salvation, asserting that it seemingly underplays the seriousness of human sinfulness and the necessity of pardon and acquittal by God. The reorientation is seen to potentially sideline the critical aspect of Paul's message, that of individual redemption and justification by faith alone, a cornerstone of Reformation theology. Despite these critiques, proponents like Dunn and Wright have endeavoured to clarify their stance, contending that their emphasis on the ecclesiological aspect of justification is not meant to minimise its soteriological significance. They maintain that their approach does not detract from the Reformation's insights, but rather situates justification within the broader scope of covenant theology. Wright, in particular, seeks to recalibrate the understanding of justification as both a declaration of righteousness through Jesus' sacrifice and an affirmation of belonging to God's true covenant community. This ongoing dialogue highlights the nuanced and complex nature of Pauline theology, indicating the challenge of holding in balance the individual and communal dimensions of justification. The debate reflects the vibrant and evolving character of biblical interpretation, inviting continual re-examination of foundational theological concepts. Moreover. Cruz's in-depth exploration into the Book of Romans offers a nuanced understanding of Second Temple Judaism and its relation to the Apostle Paul's teachings, particularly on the contentious issue of justification by faith. Cruz begins by challenging the oversimplified portrayal of Second Temple Judaism solely as covenantal nomism. He debates that the literature from this period depicts a more complex religious landscape where covenantal nomism and legalistic tendencies coexist. This distinction is vital for comprehending the backdrop against which Paul articulated his theological insights. Furthermore, Cruz addresses the evolving interpretation of works of the law. Initially, this was narrowly construed as referring to Jewish identity markers such as circumcision, Sabbath observance and adherence to food laws. However, contemporary scholarship has broadened this understanding to encompass the entirety of the law's demands. This shift is significant as it maintains Paul's criticism of his contemporaries, not just for their ethnocentrism and exclusivism, but also for their legalistic approach to the law. Central to Cruz's discussion is Paul's doctrine of justification by faith, a cornerstone of Pauline theology. This doctrine emerges against the backdrop of Paul's mission to invite Gentiles into the fold of God's people, without the prerequisite of the Jewish law. At its core, this doctrine points out God's grace in justifying sinners, applicable to both Jews and Gentiles alike, ensuring God's favour and protection against condemnation now and at the final judgment. Crucially, Cruz delineates between the doctrine of justification by faith and the gospel itself. While the former is a critical component of Paul's teachings, the latter encompasses the good news of Jesus Christ's redemptive act, addressing the fallout of humanity's failures on an individual, societal and cosmic level. This clarification is essential, situating individual salvation within the broader framework of God's redemption plan, as communicated through the Gospel. Through this, Cruz effectively illustrates the comprehensive and multifaceted nature of Paul's message in Romans, offering an insightful perspective on its theological and historical context. In addition, Cruz's exploration of the theological themes in Paul's letter to the Romans Provides a comprehensive overview of the profound depths of Christian doctrine as relayed by Paul. Central to this exploration is the character and actions of God, who is depicted as the unrivaled and eternal sovereign over creation and humanity. God's oneness, immortality, and immeasurable wisdom set the foundations for understanding his interactions with the world. A pivotal theme is the righteousness of God, which is manifest in his just decrees and judgments, and most significantly, through the Gospel's revelation. This saving righteousness transcends the confines of the Mosaic law, offering redemption and a right relationship with God to all who believe, irrespective of their background. It reiterates God's equitable nature, showing him as both just and the justifier through the sacrificial atonement of Jesus Christ. God's love is another cornerstone theme, demonstrated unequivocally through the death of Christ for sinners. This love is not a passive attribute, but is actively poured into the hearts of believers via the Holy Spirit, cementing their inseparability from God's affection. Remarkably, God's love extends even to the non believing Israelites, revealing the irrevocable nature of his gifts and calling. The sovereignty of God is repeatedly articulated, repeating his ultimate authority over creation, history, and salvation. God's will is behind the establishment of governing authorities, the provision of mercy and the hardening of hearts, all serving his divine purposes. The grace of God is presented as a transformative and sustaining power that enables believers to live in righteousness and freedom from sin. This grace justifies them, similar to Abraham, and inaugurates a new reign of life through Christ, in stark contrast to the death ushered in by Adam's trespass. God as the primary agent of salvation is a theme that binds the letter together, showcasing his initiative in making salvation known and attainable to humanity. Believers are adopted into God's family, made heirs with Christ, and promised glorification, embodying the ultimate expression of God's loving and redemptive plan for humanity. Cruz's discussion elevates these themes not only as theological concepts, but as realities that shape Christian identity, ethics and hope, rooted in the profound reality of God's character and actions as revealed in Romans. Further, Cruz articulates a profound comprehension of the theological and Christological dimensions inherent in the text, underlining the critical significance of Jesus Christ as the pivotal conduit through which God executes his plan of salvation and interacts with humanity. The discourse meticulously navigates through the multifaceted roles and identities of Jesus Christ, encapsulating his human and divine nature, his indispensable function in the justification and redemption of believers, and the perpetual impact of his ministry. Cruz underscores the theology that all divine operations, especially those concerning human salvation, are effectuated through Christ. This fundamental principle is illustrated through several assertive scriptural references where the judgment of humanity, the justification of sinners, the attainment of peace with God, and the promise of eternal life are all facilitated through the mediating presence of Christ Jesus. This emphasises the role of Jesus not only as a messenger of God's grace but as the very embodiment of that grace, securing reconciliation between a righteous God and fallen humanity. Crucially, Romans provides a nuanced portrayal of Christ's identity, straddling his human lineage as a descendant of the Jews and his divine endorsement as the Son of God, a truth powerfully ratified through his resurrection. This event not only vindicates Jesus' divinity but declares him the sovereign over both life and death. Delineating his authoritative stance in the cosmic order without conflating his identity with that of God the Father, to whom the title Theos is uniquely attributed. Besides, the letter illuminates the salvific work accomplished by Christ's atoning death, picturing it as the crux of redemption. This sacrificial act eradicates any potential condemnation for those who place their faith in him, emancipating believers from the enslavement to sin and the rigorous demands of the law. Through his death and resurrection, believers are invited into a life characterised by freedom, spiritual vitality and fruitful service to God. Additionally, Christ's resurrection marks not merely the cessation of the law's dominion, but inaugurates a new covenant era animated by the Holy Spirit. Christ, now exalted at the right hand of God, continues to advocate for believers and manifests his life and power through them, especially as evidenced in Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. Through miraculous signs and wonders, Paul's apostolic work, underpinned by the power of the Spirit, stands as a testament to the ongoing ministry of Jesus Christ in bringing about the obedience of faith among the nations. Also, Cruz's examination of the Holy Spirit's role in the Book of Romans offers a rich and multifaceted theological perspective that adds profound depth to the understanding of the Holy Spirit within the framework of early Christian belief and practice. Romans a text deeply entrenched in theological, Christological and pneumatological insights, accords significant attention to the Holy Spirit, accentuating its intrinsic connection to the divine nature and mission of God the Father and Jesus Christ. By exploring the various titles attributed to the Holy Spirit, including the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Holiness and the Spirit of Adoption, Cruz articulates the complex and intimate relationship that the Spirit holds with both the Father and the Son, thus serving as a pivotal element in the unfolding concept of the Trinity within Christian theology. The Holy Spirit's activity in Romans spans the gamut of divine action, from affirming Christ's Sonship and role by his resurrection to facilitating the believer's transformation and perseverance. This includes causing a true transformation of the heart, symbolised through spiritual circumcision pouring out God's love into believers' hearts, thus establishing a personal and communal connection with the divine, liberating believers from the power of sin and death, illuminating the path towards a life led by the Spirit, away from the legalistic confines of the law. Moreover, the Spirit's indwelling enables believers to overcome bodily sin, assures them of their status as God's children, imbues them with a hopeful anticipation of future glory aids in their weaknesses particularly through intercessory prayers, and sanctifies them, making them a fitting offering to God. The spiritual empowerment is also affirmed in the Apostle Paul's missionary endeavours, attributing his successes to the Spirit's power. Cruz's detailed analysis asserts the essential, empowering presence of the Holy Spirit in guiding believers towards a Christ-centred life. It encapsulates the essence of the Christian experience as one of transformation, empowerment and assurance of divine filiation, facilitated and sustained by the active and abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. Through this lens, the Holy Spirit emerges not merely as a doctrinal point of discussion, but as an active force in the believer's life, offering a pathway to holiness, purpose and divine relationship within the Christian narrative. Furthermore, Cruz's insightful examination of Romans, particularly focusing on Romans 1:16-17, explores the Gospel's portrayal as the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, through which the righteousness of God is revealed. In the expansive theological discourse spanning Romans 1.18-11.36, Cruz meticulously explores how the concept of God's righteousness, central to Paul's epistle, unfolds within the Gospel's framework, highlighting its intricate complexity and multifaceted nature. Cruz identifies five key aspects that collectively encapsulate this divine righteousness. Distributive justice, covenant faithfulness, saving action, the gift of righteousness, and the righteousness of life required from believers. Cruz elucidates that God's distributive justice indicates his impartial nature, ensuring that all individuals are judiciously recompensed in alignment with their actions. Simultaneously, God's unwavering covenant faithfulness is spotlighted demonstrating his steadfast reliability in upholding his promises, thus ensuring that his word is infallible. The saving action of God reveals his righteousness in a profound manner, being actively involved in humanity's salvation. Furthermore, this saving grace extends to the gift of righteousness, where individuals are declared righteous by God, a transformative declaration that redefines their existential standing before him. Among these facets... Cruz places a significant emphasis on God's saving actions through Christ, which facilitate the justification of sinners, marking it as the cornerstone of the doctrine. This emphasis chillingly illustrates Christ's pivotal role in harmonising humanity's sinful predisposition with God's sanctity, maintaining the transformative impact of divine righteousness bestowed upon believers. Through his comprehensive analysis, Cruz not only sheds light on the complexity and depth of the righteousness of God as portrayed in Paul's theology, but also illustrates its transformative potential, leading to a life that mirrors the holiness and righteousness of God himself, thereby establishing a direct linkage between divine action and ethical living among believers. In addition, Cruz's examination of the atonement within Paul's epistle to the Romans, specifically anchored in Romans 3, 26, probes into the complex and richly layered doctrine of how believers are justified by God's grace through the redemption brought about by Jesus Christ. This passage introduces Christ as a sacrifice of atonement encoded in the Greek term hilasterion which has sparked extensive theological debate due to its layered meanings expiation, mercy seat and propitiation. The concept of expiation points out the aspect of Christ's death leading to the removal or erasure of sin. This facet of atonement reiterates God's initiative in dealing with sin, cleansing humanity from its iniquities through the sacrifice of Christ, thereby reinstating the possible communion between the divine and human. Further, Cruz suggests the possibility of Helasterian alluding to the mercy seat, a crucial element in the Jewish day of atonement rituals, where the high priest would apply the blood of sacrifices. This imagery enriches the Christian understanding of atonement casting Christ's sacrificial death as the ultimate meeting point between God and humanity, fulfilling and transcending Old Testament sacrificial systems. Propitiation introduces another dimension, addressing the aspect of God's wrath towards human ungodliness and wickedness, which is appeased through Christ. Cruz repeats that propitiation in the context of Romans must not be conflated with pagan notions of appeasing capricious deities. Rather, it articulates a profound theological truth. God, in his love, initiated reconciling humanity to himself by offering his Son as the atoning sacrifice, quelling the divine wrath not through human action, but through divine self-giving. Cruz's discussion of atonement in Romans illuminates the multifaceted way in which Christ's death operates, as expiation, mercy seat and propitiation. This tripartite understanding presents the atonement as both a divine initiative and accomplishment underlining God's proactive role in erasing sin, reconciling with humanity, and transforming the wrath deserved by human sin into grace and redemption. Through this, the atonement transcends being a mere theological concept, evolving into the pivotal act of love at the heart of the Christian gospel that restores the broken relationship between God and humanity. Besides, Cruz's exploration of Paul's doctrine of justification in his epistle to the Romans delves deeply into a foundational element of Christian theology, articulating that justification extends beyond a mere defence for Gentile inclusion within God's covenant people. According to Cruz, Paul's discussions on justification, while initially used to advocate for Gentile rights, inherently cover a more extensive theological ground, addressing the very nature of salvation and God's grace towards humanity. At its core, justification represents God's gracious act of declaring sinners righteous through their faith in Jesus Christ, thus resolving the divine paradox of being just while justifying the ungodly, without compromising his own righteousness. Cruz underscores that Paul views justification through a forensic lens, focusing on God's judicial act of declaring faith-holding sinners as righteous based on the redemptive work of Christ. This forensic act is deeply rooted in the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus, which not only resolves the sin problem but also secures believers a favourable status before God. Emphasising pivotal verses in Romans where Paul elaborates on justification being achieved through Christ's blood and obedience, Cruz accentuates that belief in Christ, triggers this transformative judicial decree. Additionally, Cruz affirms that justification, according to Paul, is not a future hope but a current reality for believers, ushering in a state of peace with God and a host of ensuing blessings. This present status enjoyed by the justified includes assurance against condemnation, divine advocacy by Christ, and an unbreakable bond with God's love. The ultimate confirmation of this justified state awaits at the final judgment, ensuring believers of their eternal security and fostering a deep-seated assurance of God's unwavering support and favour. Through Cruz's analysis, it becomes evident that Paul's doctrine of justification is intricately woven into the fabric of Christian salvation history encapsulating the profound grace and mercy of God towards humanity and ensuring believers of their standing in God's redemptive plan. Also, Cruz dives into the paramount importance of faith within the Christian gospel, as outlined by the Apostle Paul. Faith emerges from Cruz's analysis not merely as a theological concept, but as the very linchpin that activates the power of salvation accessible to all who believe. Paul, pressed by a divine mandate, views himself as an emissary of the Gospel, specifically tasked with inviting humanity to a unique form of obedience, an obedience that is not grounded in legalistic adherence, but in a heartfelt faith response to the divine message. Central to Paul's exposition is the conviction that the revelation of God's righteousness, a central theme of the Gospel, initiates and sustains the faith of the believers, seamlessly weaving together the destinies of Jews and Gentiles under the umbrella of God's universal call for faith. This righteousness from God, which justifies and redeems, is squarely predicated on faith, relegating the observance of the law to a subordinate role in the economy of salvation. Cruz astutely draws attention to the narrative of Abraham, which Paul employs to crystallise the concept of faith-based righteousness. Abraham's belief, marked by an unwavering trust in God's promises beyond human reason or works, is presented as the archetype of faith. His justification before God, prior to the institution of circumcision or the fulfilment of the law, reinforces the narrative that divine righteousness is a gift accessible through faith alone. Abraham's faith, characterised by an unshakable confidence in God's capacity and willingness to fulfil his promises, encapsulates the essence and nature of the faith through which all believers are justified. Through Cruz's analysis, Faith in Romans is unveiled as a dynamic and transformative trust in God's salvific promise through Jesus Christ. This faith transcends mere cognitive agreement, embodying a lived reliance on and adherence to God's word. In doing so, it forges a path to righteousness that bypasses legalistic observances, uniting believers across different communities in a shared experience of divine redemption. This interpretation upholds faith as the foundational element through which the power of the gospel unfurls, offering salvation and righteousness to all who embrace it. Moreover, Cruz's examination of the Mosaic law within the context of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans provides a nuanced understanding of the law's role in the new Christian dispensation. Paul's mission to the Gentiles necessitated a theological framework that included them within God's covenant without adhering to the Jewish law specifically circumcision and the detailed observances contained within the Mosaic law. This, however, did not imply that the law was of no value. On the contrary, Paul acknowledged that the law was a significant gift to Israel, offering profound moral and spiritual instruction and enabling them to live in a manner pleasing to God. Nevertheless, Paul asserted a dual role of the law. While it highlighted what constituted sin, thus increasing the awareness of sin, It simultaneously indicated the overwhelming abundance of God's grace. In this sense, the law served to make humanity acutely aware of its need for God's grace. With the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, according to Paul, the regulatory authority of the law over the lives of believers came to an end. This transition symbolises a move from a relationship with God based on adherence to the law to one grounded in the Spirit's guidance. This shift does not lead to lawlessness, but rather to a life inspired by the Spirit, characterised by love and grace, which captures the essence of the law's moral and ethical teachings. Furthermore, Cruz addresses the continuing role of the law as an educational tool for believers, aiding in the understanding of sin, righteousness and godly living. While not a regulatory framework, the Old Testament remains relevant, testifying to the Gospel and offering wisdom for living when interpreted through the revelation of Christ. This perspective reshapes the believer's relationship with the law, transitioning from a legalistic adherence to a relationship founded on grace, spirit-led living and love, fulfilling the law's deepest intentions. In addition, Cruz intricately examines the nuanced role of Israel in God's redemptive narrative, Central to Paul's discourse is the premise that both Jews and Gentiles are similarly positioned concerning sin, judgment and the opportunity for salvation. Notwithstanding, Paul recognises Israel's distinctive standing, marked by their divine adoption, possession of the covenants, the law and the lineage of the Messiah, maintaining the significant heritage and responsibilities bestowed upon the Jews. Despite these privileges, many in Israel did not embrace the gospel, raising doubts about the effectiveness of God's promises. Addressing this, Paul clarifies that true Israel transcends mere lineage, pointing out God's sovereign right to show mercy or harden hearts, independent of human merit or lineage. Further, he attributes part of the responsibility for Israel's predicament to their self-righteous pursuit, failing to recognise and submit to the righteousness of God offered through faith. Yet the narrative of Israel is not concluded with rejection. Paul assures that God's commitment to his people persists, evidenced by a remnant of faithful Israelites. He portrays Israel's rejection as providential, facilitating the spread of the gospel among Gentiles, yet anticipates a future reconciliatory turn for Israel. This eventual acceptance by Israel, Paul suggests, will have profound implications, ushering in a more abundant life and fulfilment of God's promises. Paul warns the Gentile believers against arrogance, revealing a divine mystery. Israel's hardening is partial and temporary, destined to last until the Gentile inclusion is complete. The eventual salvation of all Israel is a complex and debated concept, with one plausible interpretation being the collective salvation of God's elect from Israel across the ages, affirming the enduring faithfulness of God to his covenant people. Last but not least, Cruz's exploration into the Centrum Paulinum, the heart of Paul's theology, is intricate due to Paul's letters being context-specific predominantly addressing immediate theological or pastoral issues. The letter to the Romans, though not devoid of situational influences, offers the most comprehensive insight into Paul's theological core. Various interpretations of the centrum Paulinum have emerged over time. Historically, Protestant theology reiterated justification by faith as central. However, scholars like Reed and Schweitzer critiqued this, viewing it as contextually driven rather than a core element with Schweitzer suggesting a quasi-physical union with Christ through baptism as central. Sanders shifted the focus to God's saving action in Christ, facilitating human participation via unity with Christ. The concept of salvation history became prominent with thinkers like Kuhlmann and Stendhal, who saw God's saving acts, culminating in Christ, as the central theme. Kaysman integrated justification with salvation history, advocating for its primacy. Ridderbos and Ladd introduced perspectives repeating the work of Christ within redemptive history and the inbreaking of the New Age in Christ, respectively. Fitzmaier underlined Paul's recurrent theme of Christ crucified as central to understanding salvation, while Martin and Becker proposed reconciliation and the triumph of God as comprehensive models for understanding Paul's theology. Dunn positioned Christ as the fulcrum, realigning various theological aspects around him. Cruz, noting the theocentric nature of Romans, suggests that the letter portrays the Gospel of God as the Centrum Paulinum. This portrays God's sovereign role in salvation through Christ's redemptive work, addressing the multifaceted nature of human sin. Thus, the Gospel of God, in its broad conception, encapsulating God's action through Jesus Christ, is presented as the core of Pauline theology as reflected in Romans. In conclusion, Cruz's examination of the Book of Romans offers an intricate exploration of the historical, societal and theological nuances of early Christian Rome. His analysis begins with a vivid portrayal of Rome under Emperor Nero, underscoring the complex dynamics within the Jewish community, particularly in light of Emperor Claudius' expulsion of the Jews and their subsequent return. This historical backdrop sets the stage for understanding the multi-ethnic and dynamic nature of the Roman Christian community initially formed by Jewish believers and later transformed by Claudius' edict, leading to a predominantly Gentile composition and eventually reintegrated with Jewish Christians. Additionally, Cruz digs into the transformation and mission of Paul after his encounter with Christ. Paul's commitment to evangelising, especially among the Gentiles, his strategic and patient approach to ministry and his protective instinct towards new converts, especially Gentiles, are emphasised. The epistle to the Romans is presented as a product of Paul's life, fiercely devoted to the Gospel yet entangled in the complexities of apostolic ministry and human circumstances. Also, Cruz addresses the purpose and complexity of Romans, viewing it as a comprehensive doctrinal exposition aiming to ensure the Roman believers' understanding and sanctification by the Gospel. The text is recognised for its complexity, skillfully integrating theological discourse with personal correspondence and employing varied rhetorical techniques. Moreover, Cruz's analysis acknowledges the influence of the new perspective on Paul, initiated by scholars like E.P. Sanders and James Dunn, which re-evaluates traditional views of first-century Judaism and Pauline Christianity, particularly focusing on covenantal gnomism and the redefinition of works of the law. Conclusively, Cruz's commentary on Romans provides a rich, multifaceted understanding of the early Christian context, Paul's profound theological insights and the transformative power of the gospel as presented by Paul, accentuating its centrality in Christian faith and practice.